Are you ready? Not all of the greatest influences came across the fretboard or the writing. Some of them were really created out of the electronic invention of the era. We have the electric guitar and, well, tonight we have the case of distortion. Though it's not what you're probably going to think of, we're not quite to heavy metal, but it really is such a unique acclimation to a changing environment of technology. I'm Pat. I'm Ian. And thank you for uh, tuning in to do check out this song. And today, we are covering a musician named Pat Hare. Oh, yeah. Someone else named Pat. Pat Club. Woo. Woo. We haven't had an Ian yet, have we? No, but (laughs) I guess if we had to get to Ian, we'd have to get to... uh, Yeah, who you're actually named after? Yep. Ian Anderson. Yep. So, if anyone didn't know, uh, Ian's named after Ian Anderson. I hear he's an asshole, so maybe he can make a spotlight at some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe we'll give him a spotlight just for the uh, just for reference sake for your parents out there if they're listening or not. So let's get right to the beginning. Pat Hare was born Auburn Hare, December twentieth, nineteen thirty, in Cherry Valley, Arkansas, where he was raised by his grandmother on a plantation owned by Mrs. Faye Van. He even had a little brother, but he died at the age of six. So no, oh, well, that's yeah. not a good start. And like a lot of the artists we cover, not a whole lot of information about his childhood, so his childhood will go super quick. In 1940, his family would end up moving to a farm near Parkin, Ark- near- <laughs> Parkin, Arkin? near Parkin, Arkansas. Is that really the name, Parkin, Arkansas? Yeah, P-A-R-K-I-N. Oh, somebody had a good sense of humor. <laughs> and it was around this time that his grandmother would give him the nickname Pat. Couldn't find a reason why, but... There you go. (laughs) Well, there you go. Thanks, Grandma. And it was on this farm where he started playing guitar. Oh, yes. It It, it was probably the name. Sure. I mean, you don't play guitar, so what's the deal? It's just musical greatness in general, Ian, obviously. Come on. Okay. Sorry, my bad. And so in his teens, he would end up taking lessons from a guy named Joe Willie Wilkins, who played with Sonny Boy Williamson's band on some radio shows and stuff like that, did a brief brief stint with him. If you don't know who Sonny Boy Williamson is, he was an American blues harmonica player, singer, and songwriter, and really was like an early influence in blues harp and stuff like that in the 50s and 60s. As somebody who plays harmonica, I actually looked to him for a lot of inspiration when I was first learning, and I I really like some of the things that he can do with that. uh, Such a simple instrument. Yeah. And so, in 1947, when Pat Hare was 18 years old, he would end up moving to Memphis, and he would start working as a one-man band. But soon, he was discovered performing by Howlin' Wolf, who had a show on the city's famed KWEM radio. (laughs) And Wolf would end up inviting him to play in his band after a while, and on weekends would play around the Forest City and in West Memphis area, while still, you know, in his teens. Wow, that's pretty badass. That yeah. 
that early start though you know what i mean when you get to play guitar like super early it always shows to you know you're playing big venues by the time you're like 12 and shit right most of these guys also working adult jobs by that age too but well speaking of jobs he did have two other jobs hence why he played on the weekends he played minor league baseball oh that's cool yeah i couldn't find the team because there's other guitar or other baseball players named pat hair oh yeah so the search just gets washed out yeah and then he also drove a big john deere tractor on a farm oh that's cool I mean, he grew up on a farm, so he's got to know the work, right? Yeah, there you go. So he played baseball, played music, and drove a tractor. That's a pretty cool life, I mean, if you're really asking me. And I don't even like the baseball. And even this early on in his career is when he kind of started developing a reputation as a bad drunk. And one time he even climbed up on a chair to punch Howlin' Wolf in the face. <laughs> Wait, is he short? Not as tall as Howlin' Wolf, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and then there are even other stories about him being wild and drunk some of them may be true but most with some exaggerations like some basic ones is even took a few shots at wolf with a pistol oh shit attacked a man with a rake breaking his own finger in the process one of his little fingers was actually bent and would remain so for the rest of his life <laughs> because of his rake accident yeah oh okay this guy's awesome already and so Howlin' Wolf at one point decided to take him back to his family and recommended they give him a whooping. <laughs> I'm so glad we're covering Howling or Howlin' Wolf soon. Like, yeah, next episode. Yeah, next episode, isn't it? Oh my god, I'm I'm fucking excited about that. He sounds like a, a riot. And despite all this drunken craziness, Howlin' Wolf would keep him around to play on his radio show. And he'd appear on the radio with James Cotton, Willie Nix, Joe Hill Lewis, and later on a all-black Memphis WDIA, which is just another radio program, playing behind his cousin Walter Bradford. But the spring of 1952 is kind of where he would at least start really making his break break. He would start his recording debut as a backup to his cousin Bradford, on Sun Studio, the owner, Sam Phillips. Yes, that's right, Sun yeah, Records. The, the, the one and only Sun Records. And if you guys don't know who, what Sun Records is, it is a an American independent record label founded by Sam Phillips in Memphis, Tennessee on February 1952. So really, like, in less than a year, he was playing on that label. And this was the first label to record Elvis Presley, Charlie Rich, Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins, and Johnny Cash. Yeah, some some names you guys might have heard of. Yeah, so if you guys never heard of Sun Records, you've heard of Sun Records. You just didn't know it. Yeah. And on this recording, he would end up recording two sides, one called Walter Bradford's Dreary Night and Nothing But the Blues. But this recording is so rare that no one has actually seen a copy of it. <laughs> but it happened. We have record that it happened. We just don't have any copies of it. Yeah, nobody can find any. That's fucking ridiculous. Pat Hare also claimed to have played on several of Helen Wolf's RPM sides, cut around the same time. But Wolf's guitarist, Willie Johnson, basically claimed, you know, he doesn't remember him playing on it. Oh, there's a little bit of controversy there. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And so... In late 1952, he would end up joining Little Junior Parker's band, and he would end up staying with them until about April of 53. And 
there was another guitar player named Bobby Blue Bland. Blue was his nickname. Bobby Blue Bland? Yeah. That's a weird name. Yeah. Well, his last name was Bland, but his nickname was Blue. Oh, okay. So Bobby Blue or Blue Bland. Or Yeah. And they would end up touring together as Blues Unlimited. <laughs> I get it because his name is Blue. <laughs> and when not touring, Pat Hare would end up returning to the family farm. To drive some tractors. To drive some tractors and play around Memphis, working with various musicians, including Johnny Ace, Roscoe Jordan, Ike Turner, and James Cotton. Oh, that's, I mean, that's some not Tiny's names, you know? That's, no, those I, are some big names. And in fact, the latter, James Cotton, would do regular gigs with him and end up, you know, joining the band and helping him with some studio sessions and stuff. Oh, yeah, we listened to one of those tunes, didn't we? Yeah. That was good. And he also became a favorite session guitarist of producer Sam Phillips, and he had just opened up his famed Sun Studios on the corner of Union and Marshall in Memphis. And all these songs that Sam Phillips was recording, he would lease to RPM in Hollywood, Chess in Chicago, while also releasing them on his own Sun label. You know, making money where he can. Yeah, double dipping a little bit. I mean, I'm sure he's got a few artists that are about to hit it big, too, huh? Yeah, exactly. And Pat Hare would end up appearing on sides by Roscoe Jordan, Little Junior Parker. One song that was on there, Sitting, Drinking, and Thinking. Yeah, we jammed to that. Oh, yeah, that's a good, like, good, like, straightforward blues song. Walter Horton, someone named Big Memphis Mall Rainey. Wait. The Mulroney? No, it's not the Mulroney. Oh, it's somebody else named the big named Big Memphis Mulroney. <laughs> well then, hey, you'd also play with Kenneth Banks as well as many others. Ah, well, that's. I'm a little annoyed by the doppelganger, but other than that, that's awesome. <laughs> and so that brings me to my first dude check out this song. Oh yes, and we might kind of rapid fire our dude check out this song for a little while today too. But the first one, Little Junior Parker, sitting, drinking, and thinking. Oh, it was it was great. But in 1953, Pat Hare would end up playing with one of his musical heroes, Memphis Minnie, who had retired to Memphis, and Hare would back at a Memphis gig on a weekend in 1953. So kind of like Ooh. a last hurrah type of deal. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then he would end up appearing on two early James Cotton singles, and some people think these are some of Cotton's best recordings. My Baby with the B-side Straighten Up Baby and Cotton Crop Blues with the B-side Hold Me in Your Arms. And what made these just so special is the fact that Hair was using his signature distortion. Oh, yes. We talked a little bit about this on the intro. Oh, yeah. And in fact, you can hear real well, like he really lays it on thick in cotton crop blues oh yeah he turns it all the way up it's like it's it's that that classic distorted blues that you you know you really think of when you think of like that roadhouse style and i yeah I, just just dirty and grimy and like not over the top like you get today if there is any other examples before this i i doubt that they are as spot on as what would be replicated so many hundreds of times after like this track and here we go second dude check out the song James Cotton, Cotton Crop Blues, and also James Cotton, Hold Me In Your Arms. These oh, songs, yeah. fucking awesome. Yep, jam out to them twice because they're that good. And another session he would end up doing for Sun was led by a harmonica player named Coy Hotshot Love. <laughs> Why would you need a nickname if your name was Coy Love? Well, I mean, 
How awesome does Hotshot Love sound? Yeah, I mean, that sounds pretty cool, but, like, Koi is already a pun. Oh, whatever. And he would end up recording a couple of songs off this, Wolf Call Boogie, and on the B-side, Harmonica Jam. And third, dude, check out this song. I told you, some oh, rapid shit. fire here. Oh, shit. Koi, Hotshot Love, Harmonica Jam. Harmonica. I, we didn't listen to this one. Though, no, I, I forgot to get this one on the playlist uh, before we started. And uh, you would love this song, well, too. Gonna listen, I'm going to listen to it afterwards, 100%. But you guys should all listen to it right now, because technically, based on this weird distortion of reality, if you listen to it before I do on this recording, you're technically beating me listening to it, probably. I don't think so. Shh. Don't shush me. <laughs> My job here is to to talk. I mean, yeah. if you want me to just stop, I'll just sit back while you uh, pretend you know what the fuck's going on. And then, pa- never mind. <laughs> and that's how Pat started his own podcast. Yes. <laughs> Where I make up people's history without any notes. Because Ian has the notes and he's staring at me. Okay, let's get back to it. <laughs> And so in May of 1954, Sam Phillips actually ended up deciding to record Pat Hare under his own name. And James Cotton was scheduled to play harmonica on the session, but the two got into a fist fight that day and Cotton disappeared. Uh, Probably some drinking things. I don't know, but why does this always happen? They're like, oh, and then the big day came when everyone's going to record their big thing. And then, no, we're going to fight the night before or break up about the name or whatever bullshit. Actually, the day of. Oh, <laughs> supposedly is when they got in a fight. Yeah, like, so they might have been in the studio and someone didn't like what was what somebody else was playing. And or they getting lubed up before the game, you know <laughs> what I mean? having a couple shots or whatever. And so with these recordings, he really did record two really notable tracks. The first one was a reading of Dr. Clayton's Cheatin' and Lion Blues retitled. I'm going to murder my baby. <laughs> best opening lines just the best opening lines of any of these songs and then the other song was bonus pay which was actually cover of eddie cleanhead vincent's ain't gonna be that way but phillips chose not to release hair's recordings which would not be heard until it slipped out on a bootleg on the radita label in 1976 wait how many years later is that that is 22 years. Holy shit, man. And so, like, he just just like, no, I'm not going to release these. They're not good enough, or? I think maybe a little controversy with. With the whole punching, uh, punching cotton. No, thing? I think with the song called I'm Going to Murder My Baby. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, that, <laughs> I guess that's a good point. I totally forgot about the context. That, yeah, we're, and it, it really literally opens up with, what is it, like, I'm or, uh, Mr. Judge Man, I'm going to kill my baby or whatever the first lines are of that song. Like, it, something like that. Uh, something about he wants to get the judge attention and the and the jury's attention. Yeah, it starts out as, like, a jury plea for the first few lines of the yeah. song. And it is, it's quite an amazing way to, like, really kick the song off. And also, these songs would later appear on Charlie Records, Sun Blues Box in the 80s. So, I mean, you know, they eventually got out there, but that was a long fucking time for these songs to go unnoticed. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Which brings me to my next dude check out the song. Both those songs, I'm Gonna Murder My Baby and Bonus Pay. Oh, oh yes, and do extra double listen to I'm Gonna Murder My Baby because it's fucking... It's yeah, a, it's, it's a, a great a song. Really classic blues. And it even has that kind of like classic blues, like vocal sound to it, where he's got that high pitched vocal. You know, almost sounds like 
30s blues mixed with like the 50s blues you know it's pretty cool yeah exactly it's almost it's so perfect it could almost be like a mimicking you could you could almost see it as like a modern interpretation or a modern re like uh, like a modern attempt at it but you have to realize it's so old and authentic and that so many people emulated off of well these styles i won't say these tracks obviously because they didn't get released for 22 years (laughs) but he did influence a lot of people just because he was on so many fucking recordings yeah and so even though it didn't get released pat hare would end up becoming a full-time musician yeah he would appear on many recordings most notably ones like bobby blue bland oh bbb his hit further up the road and his guitar was actually featured prominently in that song and then little junior parker's i want to ramble he would add like some unique riff attacks developed by floyd murphy on songs like mystery train and love my baby so he would end up kind of like redeveloping some riff techniques and using them on different songs on the sun label nice and my next dude check out this song. holy shit it's like, like a machine gun like of i dude said check outs like i said we're gonna go rapid fire on all these right lay it down while. lay it down let's do it Little Junior Parker, I want to ramble. Woo! That was awesome. That, yeah, that, that track. is straight like rockabilly sound. Yeah, just it's just a good jam. And we're really like like we've talked about this season. We're moving up to the rock and roll thing, and so it's so weird to have to dip so deep into like the blues blues aspect again. But this is really like such like when the guitars start getting distorted and things start like having more body and the noise and the sound. This is where the themes are going to start coming through that are going to make rock music louder soon. And so Pat Hare would end up hitting the road with the Blues Unlimited tour until Bland ended up firing him sometime in 1957. <laughs> Probably blues-related, let's be honest. Blues-related? Booze-related. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, it's probably definitely blues-related. But. <laughs> but that same year, he would end up joining James Cotton, who had joined Muddy Waters Band and brought Pat to Chicago to replace another guitar player. Man, I won't fight with you in the studio again. Let's just play uh, play another band. Yeah. Right. And this was known to their contemporaries as Muddy Waters Drunk Ass Band. Oh. <laughs> oh, so they were one of those bands. Oh, uh, yeah. The shit show bands. <laughs> I mean, I bet you it was fun to see. Oh, I bet it was amazing. But I bet there was nights where it was just literally like, I hope I didn't pay for this. And so he would end up playing with Muddy Waters for the next few years. Muddy Waters rocks, by the way. Yeah. Muddy Waters is awesome. He would end up appearing on Muddy Waters live at Newport. I mean, come on. That's a oh, great recording right there. Yes, that that's a classic right there. Live at Newport's like, mm-hmm. And he would also play on Muddy Waters Sings Big Bill record. All covers of Big Bill Brunzi, which I don't know why we haven't covered him yet. I think we need to look into him. Yeah, let's we'll we'll put him into the computer generated beep boop boop list later. Yeah. And this was also Waters' first LP to be recorded in stereo. Oh yeah. Now Old stereo. <laughs> now his trademark distortion, not in these recordings. Muddy Waters seemed to like a cleaner, low-volume sound, you know, so he could really belt above it, you know? Yeah. And so this brings me to my next dude check out the song. Oh, yes. Of course, it's going to be Muddy Waters, and we're going to go Hey Hey and Mopper's Blues. Oh, yeah. Hey Hey and Mopper's that Mopper's Blues was so fucking good. Well, we listened to the Big Bill Brunzi Hey Hey on a previous episode. Yeah, we that's, did. That's a fucking great song, and yep. this cover is awesome, too. Mm-hmm. And so Pat Hare, who was pretty mild-mannered when he was sober, 
It was starting to be kind of clear he was an out-of-control drunk. Yeah, every time he got drunk, he got crazy. Well, here's kind of the first incident of it really happening. Like getting bad, huh? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Ian's got that look on his face, guys. So sometime between 1960 and 1963, Hare, who having left his wife in Cleveland, had a girlfriend in Chicago named Louise Kennedy. Apparently, they fought a lot. He often accused her of cheating. And one night, he couldn't get her on the phone, so he went to her apartment with a loaded Winchester rifle and emptied it through a front window. <laughs> and she was even home. Holy shit. But she shit. was too afraid of Hare's temper to answer the door. Well, yeah, because he just shot the house up. And so, obviously, the police put out a warrant for his arrest. Yeah, because that's... A... <laughs> and Hare immediately went to Muddy Waters to hide with him first. Then ended up going back to Memphis to stay with Joe Willie Wilkins, the guy who trained him on guitar. Oh, wow. You're just going to hide with all your musician friends after shooting up a girl's house? What the fuck, dude? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, my God. Is, is uh, that enough were, for an you, asshole spot? Oh, spotlight? yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Okay, you, well. You just shoot up a, a lady's house for any reason. This asshole spotlight's about to get bigger. This this asshole is stretching right now. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's getting bad, huh? We're, we're getting pretty close. Oh, well, we're just going to go ahead and put him out there in the middle of the spotlight and back away from it then, because... <laughs> and so in 1963, he would end up returning to the family farm and, you know, kind of hide out, keep calm, you know, whatever, you know, just try not to get arrested, essentially. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. We call it hiding out. <laughs> but former Muddy Waters sidemen Mojo Burford and JoJo Williams would end up tracking him down there, and they were starting a new band in Minneapolis... And convinced Pat to go up north and play with them. And they were soon gigging at a place called Maddie's Barbecue in South Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. So he's on the run. Now he's in a blues band again. What what could go wrong? And, of course, Pat Hare was drinking heavily. Oh, of course. What could go wrong? And had to often be sent home for passing out on stage. (laughs) And once after being sent home for two nights in a row, Hare demanded... That Mojo pay him anyway. And when Mojo refused to pay Hare, Hare threatened to shoot him. Oh, my God. This dude is like that. <sighs> Can't come up with a good, like, simile. He's just terrible. Oh, it gets worse. Oh, it gets worse. Okay, well, then continue, like, by all means. The asshole is getting bigger as we speak. <laughs> no, it's not the asshole that gets bigger. It's a spotlight. It's, it's not. You're, you're, it's a metamorphic. It's a spotlight up the asshole. Oh, my God. That's not what the asshole spotlight means, guys. Please, don't take that (laughs) home with you. It's a spotlight on assholes, not not actual assholes. Well, then he's got three spotlights on him. (laughs) Oh... All right, well, you say it's going to get worse. I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's let's Are you sure? Are you sure about this? I'm built up. Let's let's hear it. So, on a Sunday afternoon, December 15th, 1963, Hare spent the afternoon drinking wine with well-known blues drummer S.P. Leary, who was actually in town working in a band with former Helen Wolf guitar player Willie Johnson. And Pat Hare at the time was living with a married woman named Aggie Winch. W-I-N-J-E. I'm just going to refer to her as Aggie from now on because it's way easier. And so Pat Hare would end up calling a friend of Aggie's named Pat Morrow, who drove him to another friend's house where he drank a half a pint of gin. Oh, this is not going out to be a good day. And why are we adding more Pats to the story? This is not looking good for the Pat community here. 
Yeah, you were pretty happy about the fact that we we're covering a pat too. God damn it! Now well, I'm not happy anymore. <laughs> okay, well, at least your your flute guy's an asshole too. <laughs> yeah, well, let's see who's more of an asshole after god I tell this it. story. Oh my god! And so after drinking the gin, they proceeded to another house owned by James McKee, who was Hare's boss at the time, as Hare was also working as a window washer. But James wasn't home, and so Hare told his wife to bring him to his apartment when he got in, explaining that he was having trouble with Aggie, who wanted to return to her husband. Gee, I wonder why. Well, yeah. And upon Hare getting home, he took a couple shots at Aggie, who ran out to the car and asked if she would take Hare with her. Wait, like punches or like shots with a gun? Pot shots. Like with a gun? Yeah. What the fuck? And so... James's wife, being scared shitless, drove off, leaving Aggie with Pat. What the fuck? She left her? And at this point, he's getting angrier. Well, yeah, because you just tried to run away with the lady, and you're a cra- and he's a crazy, dangerous psychopath. This isn't the asshole spotlight, Ian. This is the crazy psychopath spotlight. And so at some point, Hare ended up getting on the phone to call a neighbor named Charles Cook. And while he was on the phone, he told Cook, that woman is going to make me kill her. What the fuck? And what else was said, I don't know. But at some point, he ended up hanging up on the phone and the fighting continued. But soon more shots were followed. A woman named Florence Whips called the police. Officer James E. Hendricks, Hendricks and Chester Langard responded within minutes. An officer Hendricks, armed with a shotgun, headed to Hare's apartment and was heard by his partner to say, give me the gun, followed by three shots. And when Officer Langar entered the apartment, he arrived to see Hendricks on the floor and Hare pointing a pistol at him. Aggie was sitting on the couch with two bullet holes in her. Holy shit. Yeah. And the cop? Holy fuck. Just remember, I'm going to murder my baby. Yeah, I guess so. No, continue the story. Is there more? Oh, there's more. Officer Langard ended up shooting Pat Hare twice and then ended up calling for backup. Ambulances arrived, first taking Officer Hendricks, who died en route to the hospital. Aggie and Pat were taken to the general hospital and both underwent surgery. Aggie would die January 22nd, 1964. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. When questioned, Pat Hare said... He only remembered that he was drunk and claimed to have no recollection of shooting anyone. Oh, my fuck. Fuck that shit. Is this one of our biggest asshole spotlights? Oh, well, this is beyond an asshole spotlight. This is like, if if somebody turned on the podcast at the wrong time, they'd be like, wait, is this one of those, like, criminal investigation podcasts? No, we're talking about rock and roll history, apparently. Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, Man, and I was happy to share a name with this ass fucker when we started. I take everything I've said back. I hope you're, you go, what was his first name again? His Auburn. Yeah, Auburn. You don't get to be a Pat anymore, Auburn. I'm still calling him Pat. Fuck you. I like the name. Auburn It reminds Hare. me of you, actually. Oh, well, uh, by the time the cops get here, I'll get off more than three shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my fucking Lord. And so at the trial... Pat Hare waived his rights to a jury trial, and the judge, Tom Bergen, was a former cop. (laughs) 
The trial was held February 14th, 1964, and lasted all of one day. Pat Hare was found guilty of first-degree murder of Officer Hendricks, while at the same time pleading guilty to third-degree murder in the case of Aggie. Of course the fucking shitbag lives. That's just so shitty. Like, the girl dies, the cop dies, but the shitbag lives. Yep. And so he was sentenced to life in prison and was sent off to Stillwater State Prison, changing his stage name to 21961-E. <laughs> oh, Ian. <laughs> you wrote that one down, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> It was good. I like it. I like it. High five. (laughs) Well, good news. In prison, Hare would join AA and he would quit drinking. Well, good. That's way too little too late. He joined the prison band, Sounds Incarcerated, and he would play jazz, country, blues, and rock and roll to the fellow inmates. And later... Do you get this? And later, the band was allowed to travel outside of the prison, appearing at public events, concerts, hospitals, and other venues. What the fuck? <laughs> Why? A convicted murderer. Just like, yeah, go play. Yeah, just go on tour, bud. Just don't shoot anyone else, you drunken psychopath. <laughs> Fucking hell, dude. In 1974, Hare was denied parole, though. Good, good. Keep that crazy fucker in prison or whatever. And in 1975, he was diagnosed with lung cancer. A year before, his recordings would get released. You know, with the infamous, I'm going to murder my baby. Oh, so is this, this probably has something to do with why they were released too. Probably, but I mean, think of the irony. Oh my God. He records a song called, I'm going to murder my baby. And then years later, goes to jail for murdering his baby. Yep. And then gets famous for it after he does it. Like the, for the song, like that's some fucked up shit. And so for this cancer, he was operated on and had part of one of his lungs removed. Unfortunately, in 1977, cancer would return and he was started on chemotherapy for cancer of the throat. And underwent a second surgery, this time having muscles from the left side of his neck and under his tongue removed. Oh, wow. So I imagine he's not doing too much singing at this point. Yeah, probably not. Upon him getting sick, though, this kind of caused them to transfer him to minimum security prison. And he was often allowed to leave the prison to perform music, even appearing with Muddy Waters at a concert where Muddy Waters opened for Eric Clapton. What the fuck? So yeah. they're just like, he's like, hey, I'm going to go play with Muddy Waters and Eric Clapton. Can I get, like, out for a day? They're like, oh, yeah, that seems reasonable. Yeah. You murdering psychopath <laughs> drunk bastard. In 1980, he was filmed for a local Minnesota TV show called PM Magazine and was even about to be given a medical pardon when he succumbed to his cancer on September 26th, 1980. Oh, that's fucking sad, kind of. No, it's not. I'm I'm trying to feel bad for the guy because, you know, it's the end of his life and everything. But, dude, fuck you. He killed two people. Yeah, I I mean, you're you're a murderer. This isn't, dude, check out this murderer, Ian. Well, it's kind of that now, too. It's kind of check out the songs he recorded and then check out the fact that he killed his girlfriend. Yeah, I guess so. So, uh, I mean, I guess we're supposed to formulate some sort of last thoughts off this, aren't we? Yeah. We are. The papered front of me says last thoughts, and it's underlined in red pen with a frowny face now. 
So uh, you go first. Oh, you want me to take this one? Oh, uh, all right. Yeah, you, you can you can plow the original trail here. I'll you know drink some of this beer and load my shotgun or whatever. So how do I formulate my final thoughts on this guy? I don't know, man. That's what made you go first. So I really do appreciate the fact that he really helped bring distortion into more of a mainstream sound. Like without that, who knows where guitar would have evolved. I'm sure someone would have brought distortion into more prominence, but he really knew how to use it. And I appreciate that. I appreciate his music. He was also a fucking drunken bastard who killed his girlfriend and an officer. Murdering psychopath. Yeah. Murdering psychopath. At least when he was drunk, he seemed pretty calm. He seemed like a nice guy when like he was sober. Jek- Jekyll and Hyde sort <laughs> <Yeah>. of situation. <laughs> Jekyll and drunk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so, honestly, I don't really know where to place him. Like, it's like he made some amazing music, but he was also a despicable human being at the same time. And the fact that they let him out of prison to go play some more. I mean, really? That's fucking ridiculous. Like, come on. Yeah, I don't know. I <laughs> that that blows my mind. And this was in the eighties. Yeah, that's uh, I don't know. But he did get to open up for Eric Clapton. I mean, I mean that's all that really matters. Yeah, I mean, let's praise Eric Clapton where he stands right now. <laughs> are we? Are we doing that? <laughs> I don't think I'm doing that. <laughs> he hasn't gotten his episode yet. Pat's bowing to Eric Clapton as we speak. No, I'm not. He is. No, that's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck. And honestly, I don't know where to go with this, so I'm going to throw the ball to you, man. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Why not? So. Hey, you uh, can ramble way better than I can. <laughs> cue the, the 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 sad Sunday morning backtrack where it's like, do, 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 do. Because, like, honestly, there's nothing I can give you but a PBS special here. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're a dick when you drink like if you have if you take any sort of like recreational anything and it turns you into a different person and makes you act crazy just don't stop, take that just stop doing that thing yeah there's plenty of avenues to get that treated to a a n a yeah some fucking random dude on the internet yeah exactly and honestly like the, then the reality is like just however you get it taken care of get it taken care of and i'm not even going to limit it to that if you there you have anything in your life that is going to lead through a checkerboard event set of events to lead to you taking somebody else's life you know don't do that like it's pretty easy i mean if you don't if you get off the track early in the life you're not going to commit large pieces of you know crime or murder or anything like that that person had to put himself in a situation to not only be drunk enough crazy enough and also have a gun on multiple occasions to where that outcome came to itself also if you have a member of your band who gets drunk and takes a shot at you don't let him keep playing with yeah, you no, that's no. a recipe for disaster in fact get the word out there not to hire this guy i mean seriously and if you uh, i mean he did end up making some good recordings, but still, I mean. And if you're a warden, don't let guys out to play who are murderers. What, couldn't let him go play with Eric Clapton. What if you mar- murdered Eric Clapton or mur- Muddy Waters? That'd be on your ass. Hey, guys, distortion is cool. I really like it. Distortion is a mechanism for changing the sound of a guitar. And honestly, I think that through the future, we're going to have to focus on somebody who uses it to a better uh effect than accidentally <laughs> or purposely murdering people i'd say we'd do Jimi hendrix but we'd probably get sued by his family yeah well we like to make sure that we don't cover the big guys so i'm sure somebody earlier did some distortion stuff that we haven't found yet and we're gonna dig that up because at the end of the day i want to be able to 
get into like the mechanics and shit of distortion and have a little bit more of a technological conversation, but I can't well, bring there's my... a conversation that's going to put pe- people to sleep. Though. Yeah. Well, we aren't going to do a big long dissertation. We've learned our lesson on that one, but, uh, <laughs> but I've actually looked into it too. It's, it's rough. Yeah. It's, it's technological to say the least. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do our best well, to make sure that we we'll can explain all about diodes and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so much fun. Yeah. Like, so, well, it, I mean, like today turned into a crime pod ta- podcast. Next time is <laughs> Mr. S- Mr. Science week next time. <laughs> um, ladies and gentlemen, don't murder people. Please don't. Yeah. And, uh, if, if you like doing things that are nearly the opposite of murder, you could just, you know, support us on social media or, you know, tell people that you like us and tell people that we exist. Yeah. Let your friends know that you're listening to this podcast because we really want more people to listen to this because honestly, who else is going to get a story about Pat Hare who nobody has fucking heard of that murdered two fucking people? Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and a little shout out to the state of Virginia, which uh, has been extremely listening to our podcast for the last three weeks. Hell yeah. Thank you, guys. Hell yeah. State of Virginia. And uh, as always, good night.